What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. My first goal is to promote health and well-being so that children genuinely feel good and can focus on enjoying their childhood. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lovers. I hope you are doing plantastic. I just wanted to pop in and tell you that this week is very special. I'm actually releasing the first three chapters of my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. I have previously released the introduction. It is episode 75. The title of that episode is Tears at Mealtime. And now this will be continuing in the first three chapters of my book. My book has 18 chapters, so this gives you a very good feel of what my book is like. If you have not already purchased my book, it is available through all major online booksellers in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. You will be listening to the audiobook recording of my book. I hope that you enjoy it, that it's interesting, that maybe you learn a little something, and that it intrigues you if you have not already purchased my book. I'm so happy to hear from you. If you have questions or you have ideas for future podcast episodes, email me at yami, Y-A-M-I, at dryami, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I, Thank you, veggie lovers. I love having you here week after week, and I hope that you enjoy this special episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Part one, how to eat. For the most part, healthy young children eat when they're hungry and stop when they're full. Teaching your kids to be in tune with their own hunger and fullness cues will allow them to have a comfortable relationship with food and avoid overeating as they grow older. Joy Bauer, nutrition and health expert for the Today Show. Chapter one, why we should care. Nutrition is a vital component of a healthy and joyful life. It can contribute to health or disease, positively or negatively impacting us in many ways, including well-being and mental health, digestive system function, and athletic performance. 
A diet high in processed foods, refined sugars, and other additives can lead to the onset of chronic disease. Physicians are starting to diagnose children with chronic illnesses that are typical for adults, such as metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, and fatty liver disease. Metabolic syndrome is marked by abnormalities in insulin, glucose, or cholesterol, known risk factors for progression to diabetes, heart disease, and fatty liver. According to a literature review by Dr. D. Molnar in 2004, type 2 diabetes accounts for between 8 to 46% of all new diabetes diagnoses in children in the United States. It is highly prevalent in some ethnic groups, affecting up to 5% of adolescents in Native American tribes. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the most common cause of chronic liver disease in children in the United States. A life burdened with disease threatens to steal health and joy away from our children. But it doesn't have to be this way. We can take a different approach that teaches our children the habits and skills that lead to a health-promoting diet and lifestyle. Before we set out on starting or changing a behavior or habit, it is helpful to understand why we choose to do it. I know you are reading this because you want to raise a healthy child, but what does that really mean? When I make food choices for myself and for my children, and when I counsel my patients and families, I have three main goals. One, promote health and well-being. The dictionary defines well-being as, quote, the state of being comfortable, healthy, or happy, end quote. I want to feel good, and I want my family to feel good. I want my children to have plenty of energy, proper digestion, and pain-free bodies. I want to decrease their susceptibility to colds and frequent infections. I want them to enjoy sports and physical activity. I want them to sleep well and regulate their emotions. I want them to feel happy and safe. Essentially, this is how I describe health. Feeling good physically and mentally is something that we can tune into and change rather quickly with our diet and lifestyle choices. Many people start to feel increased energy and improved digestion just days or weeks after making a diet and lifestyle change. Many children live with a state of chronic abdominal pain, constant allergies, depressed mood, and frequent colds. They've lived that way for so long that they may not remember what it feels like to feel good. My first goal is to promote health and well-being so that children genuinely feel good and can focus on enjoying their childhood. Two, decrease risk of chronic disease and support longevity. My second goal, and one of my great passions, is to decrease the risk of chronic disease and support longevity. This one is harder to stay excited about because it is a very long-term project. Even with poor diet and lifestyle choices, many humans may not be diagnosed with chronic disease until their 30s, even though they may have had symptoms of illness for many years before that. Besides, making choices that may enable us to live to 100 years and beyond is not usually motivating to children. However, for adults who have experienced serious illness or lost a loved one to a chronic disease, such as heart disease, diabetes, or cancer, 
prevention can become a strong motivator. The good news is that the majority of chronic disease can be prevented by the choices that we make today and every day. In fact, 80 to 90% of chronic disease can be prevented with diet and lifestyle choices. The key is to develop and foster routines and habits so that they become a way of life and not a burden or a source of suffering. Three, foster confidence. My third goal is to help children develop a healthy relationship with food and foster confidence in their bodies. Having suffered from disordered eating and poor body image for many years, I know how painful it can be and how much it can detract from a joyful life. Disordered eating is defined as abnormal eating behaviors that by themselves do not constitute an eating disorder, but include practices such as restricting food or food groups, induced vomiting, and binge eating. Those that have disordered eating are at increased risk for developing an eating disorder. The risk of death for those suffering from eating disorders is significantly elevated. Even if the eating disorder does not result in death, it can cause serious medical complications, such as low heart rate, heart palpitations, low blood pressure, muscle wasting, dental erosions, and chronic digestive irregularities. Also, dieting, unhealthy weight control practices, and binge eating can cause harm, even if they do not meet criteria for eating disorders. Children who start these behaviors as adolescents are likely to continue them into adulthood. If we ourselves become confident and relaxed around food, our food choices, and our bodies, we will give our kids a better chance of learning and adopting these skills as well. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. Chapter two, intuitive eating, your child's superpower. What is intuitive eating and how can we leverage it? The general concept of intuitive eating has been around since the 70s, but the term was coined in 1995 by authors Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch in their groundbreaking book, Intuitive Eating, a revolutionary program that works. Triboli and Resch describe an intuitive eater as someone who, quote, honors their hunger, respects their fullness, and enjoys the pleasure of eating, end quote. For intuitive eaters, the trigger to eat is physical hunger. The physiological urge to eat prompted by the physical cue, such as a growling stomach or a feeling of emptiness in the stomach. It does not bring with it guilt, shame, or moral judgments. When I talk about intuitive eating, I am referring to the innate ability to listen to one's hunger and fullness signals. At its most basic level, it is knowing when to eat and when to stop. 
Intuitive eating also includes eating for well-being and pleasure and depends upon a level of body acceptance and self-trust. Babies are born with the natural ability to signal when they are hungry and stop eating when they are full. Although children are born with the ability to eat intuitively, for a variety of reasons, which I will discuss later, they start to lose this skill at about five years of age. This ability to tune in and pay attention to hunger and fullness is a gift, and I consider it your child's superpower. As parents, our job is to honor and protect that superpower, and in this book, I will show you how. Rather than relying on external factors such as calories, macronutrients, time of day, or food rules, intuitive eating encourages tuning in and paying attention to the body's internal signals of hunger and satiety. Although this approach may seem odd or foreign in today's food culture, our ancestors fed themselves this way for thousands of years. Using external cues, such as diet plans to determine how much to eat, is a relatively new trend in our society that has been increasing over the past hundred years. Chemist Wilbur Olin Atwater discovered how to measure the calorie content of food in the late 1800s, but the concept of manipulating calorie intake for weight control was not popularized until the 1920s. Diet and Health with Key to the Calories, written by physician Lulu Hunt Peters in 1918, was the first diet book to become a bestseller. Peters herself used and promoted calorie counting as a weight loss method. Believe it or not, there was a time when people did not know their exact morning weight like their phone number or social security number. The bathroom scale did not arrive in homes until around 1910. Before this time, people did not weigh themselves regularly. Modern times have also provided an overabundance of food, easily accessed with minimal effort. This radical shift in the availability of food combined with our desire for a culturally determined ideal body weight has led to the common practice of counting calories or measuring our food to determine how much to eat. We have been taught that we can't trust our bodies or our appetites and our intake must be carefully controlled and restricted. The good news is that we actually have built-in physiological gauges that can guide us in eating the appropriate amount of food, if we pay attention. Many adults have unlearned this skill because we now use external factors to determine when to eat. However, when it comes to feeding our children, embracing and fostering their ability to eat intuitively will have many advantages for their health and long-term happiness. I want to be very upfront about something. Intuitive eating is not a fad diet or novel weight loss technique. It is a flexible, simple approach that is sustainable for a lifetime. You may even say that intuitive eating is the anti-diet. Intuitive eaters are not perfect, and we shouldn't expect ourselves or our children to become perfect intuitive eaters. It is not all or nothing or pass-fail. Instead, it is an overall balanced pattern of eating and relating to food and our bodies. In a sense, the concept of intuitive eating is very straightforward. 
However, it might not always feel natural to support the development of intuitive eating in your children through all the stages of growth. In part three, I will discuss how to support and nurture your child's intuitive eating through the various developmental stages. In addition to making logical sense, intuitive eating has research to support its benefits. Those that listen to their internal cues have less disordered eating behaviors, decrease odds of developing chronic dieting and binge eating, and are more likely to have lower body mass index. Intuitive eaters have also been found to have improved cholesterol markers and decreased cardiovascular risk. College women who scored high in intuitive eating were also more likely to be internally motivated to exercise for pleasure. Intuitive eaters are more likely to enjoy and take pleasure in their food and eating. And what will come as an enormous relief to parents, intuitive eaters are not more likely to eat junk food. A review article exploring the results from 24 studies found that not only did participants have improved eating habits and body image, but they also exhibited less restriction, had increased body satisfaction, and showed improved psychological well-being. Even more impressive, many studies reported effects lasting up to three years. In a 2014 review article of 20 interventions that promoted eating by internal cues, the authors described one study in which 82% of the subjects had maintained intuitive eating and were able to identify hunger 10 years after the intervention. Intuitive eating achieves all three goals I mentioned in chapter one. Along with well-being, health, body confidence, and self-trust, Intuitive eating brings a decreased risk of chronic disease and a lower likelihood of disordered eating. Since intuitive eating is based on hunger and satiety, it is essential to understand these concepts. Both are bodily processes that are regulated by complex chemical and hormonal cascades, but if we pay attention, we can tune into these sensations and honor them. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, 
and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And now, back to the episode. Chapter 3, Hunger and Satiety. Babies are born with an alarm system that triggers action when they are hungry and ready to eat. It's called crying. Most babies express other cues even before crying starts, and we search for these signs to know when to feed them. Babies, especially those who are breastfed, naturally stop when they are satisfied. Then two or three hours later, they start making signs that they are hungry again. If we try to feed them when they aren't hungry or force them to keep going when they are full, they often fuss or may even start crying again. We trust babies to alert us when they are hungry, and in general, parents are pretty good at picking up signs of hunger. But what exactly is hunger, and why is it a beneficial sign? What is hunger? Hunger is the indication that it is time to eat. The Oxford Dictionary defines hunger as, quote, a feeling of discomfort or weakness caused by lack of food coupled with a desire to eat, end quote. Physical or physiological hunger occurs when the body biologically signals for more food. Mario Chiampolini, an Italian gastroenterologist at the University of Florence, and his colleagues identify two distinct hunger sensations. The first is called the empty hollow sensation, when the stomach feels empty and you might experience hunger pangs or a growling stomach. This sensation explicitly indicates that the digestive system is ready to accept and digest food. The second is called inanition, which is characterized by fatigue and lightheadedness. Interestingly, both sensations correlate to a drop in blood sugar that determines an appropriate time to initiate eating. There are multiple metabolic, hormonal, neurologic, and psychological processes that stimulate hunger and satiety. In the brain, the hypothalamus acts as the main control center for hunger and satiety, and over 14 hormones are involved. Ghrelin, a hormone that triggers hunger and motivates us to seek out food, is mainly produced in the stomach tissues. This hormone rises as it is closer to mealtime and falls after eating. Ideally, we learn to pay attention to and respond most often to physical hunger. There are several benefits to this, including improved digestion and absorption of food. Chiampolini and his colleagues state that the desire to eat may occur in the absence of hunger, but hunger alone represents a state of physiological preparedness to digest. 
When we are physically hungry, it means that the body is physiologically ready to digest and absorb food. When this is the case, our metabolic processes are more efficient and effective. A second health benefit to eating in response to physical hunger is improved insulin sensitivity and energy balance, which lead to weight regulation and can result in decreased inflammation and a lower risk of autoimmune disease. Finally, food tastes much better when we are physically hungry. One of my favorite proverbs is, hunger is the best sauce, meaning that when one is truly hungry, anything tastes good, an excellent food tastes fantastic. One of the principles of intuitive eating is to derive pleasure and enjoyment from food. You can maximize pleasure from food by waiting for physical hunger before you eat. Seen this way, waiting to eat is not deprivation, but a way to derive more pleasure from your meal. When you experience physical hunger, your taste buds are open and ready. However, eating is not always triggered by physiological hunger, but other types of cues. Emotional hunger or emotional eating occurs when we develop habits or behaviors that link eating to our emotional states. Many adults and children have learned to eat when they are not hungry, but rather bored, stressed, anxious, or sad. For example, it has become socially and culturally acceptable for women to manage the irritability and mood swings of premenstrual syndrome with the consumption of chocolate. It is also a common habit to use food to soothe a child or reward good behavior. This is not true hunger, but a desire to eat outside of physical hunger. Another type of hunger is a desire to eat that is triggered by external cues, such as time of day, seeing food, or behaviors like watching television, driving, or studying. We are often surrounded by food cues on television, on the radio, and in magazines, including where we work and as we drive. These food cues include images of food or people eating on billboards, magazines, television, and social media there seems to be a constant bombardment of reminders to eat. There is a scientific explanation for why seeing food suddenly makes us want to eat. The cephalic phase response is when our body becomes prepared for digestion by activating salivation and gastric juices, increasing heart rate and releasing insulin. This physiological response is triggered by tasting, seeing, smelling, or even thinking about food. Research shows that there are differences in the strength of this response between individuals. Some people seem to have a stronger desire and motivation to eat after being exposed to these cues. Have you ever walked into a movie theater on a full stomach only to suddenly feel hungry after smelling the popcorn? Brian Wansink, a consumer researcher who has performed many studies on our eating habits, calls this the sea food trap. The cephalic phase response can also be conditioned or associated with other events. This psychological phenomenon is exemplified by the Pavlov's dog study, in which the dogs in the experiment were trained to associate eating food to the ring of a bell. Upon ringing of the bell, the dogs would start salivating in anticipation of eating, even though food was not physically present. 
The desire to eat popcorn upon walking into a movie theater is an example of conditioning. The first few times you arrive at a movie theater, smell and consume the popcorn, you create an association with popcorn and seeing a movie so that with time, it becomes a habit to eat popcorn at the movies. In The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg breaks down a habit into three components, a cue, a routine, and a reward. This habit loop explains how certain events, such as sitting in front of the television or starting a study session, would become the cue that triggers the routine of eating. We are exposed to more food cues than ever before, and we are responding to them by eating. In the United States, the number of eating occasions has steadily increased over time. In 1977, children and adults ate an average of three times per day, and by 2006, that number had risen to six to seven eating occasions per day. This has resulted in a rise in daily calorie intake by about 443 calories and decreased time between meals with children eating about every three hours and adults every three and a half hours. Given the results of these studies, it is likely that we are eating outside of physical hunger more often than before. In our culture, mealtimes are usually set in our schedules and routines at daycare, school, and work. I remember watching my son's soccer game when he was around six years old. The game lasted only 45 minutes, but the snack mom for the day handed out snacks before the game started, at halftime, and after the game was over. Another widespread practice is to eat several smaller meals throughout the day to prevent hunger. Because of this practice, many people have started to fear hunger and eat preemptively, completely ignoring hunger and fullness signals. I want to emphasize that there is nothing shameful or wrong about non-hunger eating. We all do it from time to time. Hello, Thanksgiving. It is not a moral issue or a character defect. In some ways, it can be seen merely as an urge or a habit that has a real physiological and psychological basis. However, when non-hunger eating becomes the dominant cue for eating, it can lead to losing touch with true hunger and satiety. These habits can develop quickly and can lead to unwanted consequences. When we eat for emotional or external cues, we might be hungry in our minds, but not in our bodies. This means that our bodies may not be physically prepared to digest and absorb food. Eating outside of hunger can lead to indigestion, bloating, stomach pain, sluggishness, constipation, and diarrhea. Although we all eat outside of hunger from time to time, it makes more sense to eat in response to physical hunger and stop when we feel satisfied. However, the process of satiety may be even more complex than hunger and less well understood. What is satiety? Knowing when to stop eating is a vital component of intuitive eating. Babies and young children are often sensitive to the internal cues that urge them to stop, sometimes after only a few bites, much to their parents' frustration. The sensation that often precedes stopping food intake is called satiety. Satiety refers to feeling satisfied with the amount of food that one has consumed. 
Certain hormones in the human body are associated with satiety, most notably cholecystokinin, peptide YY, insulin, leptin, and adiponectin. All of these hormones rise in response to satiety. Sensing satiety is subtle and more challenging to recognize than physical hunger. Studies show that parents tend to be less responsive to satiety cues from their babies. There are several ways that we can determine if satiety has been reached. When satisfied, babies tend to turn their heads away, pull away from the breast, and cry if fed more. They are saying, I have had enough. Just as we trust them to tell us when they are hungry, we must trust them when they indicate to us or tell us that they have had enough. When you approach fullness, the taste of food actually changes and becomes less delicious. Your rate of eating may slow down and you may find yourself distracted by something else. When other things become more attractive than food, it is your sign that you or your child has had enough. Children maintain the skill of being in tune with their hunger and satiety as they grow. Toddlers are especially good at this, and it creates immense distress for parents. Toddlers love to play and explore their world. In fact, that is their number one job. Many of them can't be bothered to sit and eat if they are not hungry. Some days, it seems like they hardly have an appetite, and other days, they seem insatiable. This is completely normal. I encourage parents to support this natural intuition. As long as your child is a developmentally typical child and growing on their growth curve, do not worry about these normal behaviors. When children learn to eat past fullness, they can start to develop unhealthy habits. Although hunger and satiety are easy concepts to understand, they are not black and white. Just as there are genes that account for fixed physical traits, such as eye color and height, genetic components may also influence behavioral characteristics, including our eating behaviors. The speed of eating, how much one eats, or how much interest and enjoyment a person takes in food is rooted in our genes. This is evident even in newborns that exhibit different feeding cues and behaviors. I would call myself a food lover, and apparently this has been true since early childhood. According to my grandmother, one afternoon when I was a toddler, as my aunt was sitting at a table eating her lunch, I snuck by and with my little toddler hands, swiped a large piece of food off her plate, running away and happily announcing, RICO, which means delicious in Spanish. My older son has inherited my eating gusto. He takes a very high interest in food and would even dance in his high chair when something was particularly delicious to him. My younger son can appreciate food and does enjoy it, but definitely not to the same level. He is also more likely to wait to eat until he is physically hungry and he does not enjoy eating in the absence of hunger. He likes to finish his meals quickly so he can do other things while my older son and I linger at the table, taking distinct pleasure in our meals. Maybe you see differences like this in your children and family members, but my point here is that these differences are normal, to be expected and nothing to worry about. It's really the eating habits that we instill in our children by honoring their hunger and satiety cues that makes the difference in their long-term health.
How Pleasure and Food Connect. In our culture, delicious food is often labeled sinful, decadent, or as a guilty pleasure. We have become one of the most health-conscious countries in the world, but we also derive the least satisfaction from our food. This is likely because we have created excessive rules around our eating and have become accustomed to labeling foods as good or bad. Research shows that the more health-conscious a person is, the less likely they are to derive pleasure from their food and the less likely they are to be intuitive eaters. Orthorexia nervosa, also known as orthorexia, is a form of disordered eating that has been gaining more attention in recent years. People that suffer from this disorder become obsessed with a healthy diet to the point that it begins to interrupt their life and well-being. They may also avoid eating out and going to social functions, and they become fearful of more and more foods. Restrained eaters are those who are purposely restricting their dietary intake to lose weight or maintain weight loss. Unrestrained eaters, on the other hand, are not bound by food rules or diets. Intuitive eaters are naturally unrestrained eaters. They seek enjoyable nourishment when they are physically hungry. Ironically, although restrained eaters aim to reduce their calorie intake, they actually end up consuming more calories than they intend because the restriction often leads to binge eating and emotional eating. They also experience higher levels of guilt after eating and are more likely to be attracted to high calorie foods. When we make eating choices from a place of dietary restraint, it limits the pleasure we derive from our food. Pleasure and enjoyment come through all the senses, our vision, our smell, and our taste. It is also felt inside the body. Intuitive eaters tune into their bodies and know which foods lead to feeling good and which cause feelings and sensations that they do not enjoy. Although a plate of salty, greasy fries might taste good in the mouth, it may not feel good in the body, and an intuitive eater can make decisions based on these past learned experiences. An intuitive eater can receive and interpret the body's feedback and use it to determine their eating decisions. Pleasure is not wrong or sinful. We deserve joy in life, and it is not just okay, but beneficial to derive pleasure from our food. One intriguing study found that eating a highly desired food item decreased cravings for more food. This means that when we eat what we really enjoy, we gain pleasure and satisfaction, and our desire to keep eating decreases, making it easier to eat within hunger and satiety. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.